Hey everybody, it's Mickey. We are replaying an old episode of Misery from a section called Snow Place Like Death. Why are we replaying this episode? Well, because we have entered into the King Tyrion collection section. This is where we're playing the best adapted Stephen King films and forming them much like a Criterion collection. The best of the best. So Misery belongs there, but rather than re-record that episode, we thought we'd play the one we did last year. And remember to stay tuned because we will have new episodes out like Creepshow coming next week. Welcome to the return slot of horror, a podcast set in the basement of a video store much like the one from your youth, a place where Mickey, Marika, and Michelangelo hang out after hours, talk about horror films, and can't seem to agree on much other than their love for the genre. So grab a drink, be careful on the stairs, and don't be the last one left in the basement at the end of the night. I still there? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we're ready to start. It's your episode, oh, so Ken. Sorry. <laughs> sorry. I thought you were still. I just wanted talking. to see how long we could drag on that awkward silence. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Uh, hello, listener, and welcome to the return slot of horror. It's it's it sounds, scary, Marika. Not funny. It sounds like you like you are hosting some sort of like late night erotic cable TV. Hey guys, one eight hundred. Do you want to meet available adults in your area? Call. <laughs> this is why the episodes are two hours long. Yeah. Chris, welcome to Christian Mingle, the dating site for Christian Christ- Mingle. Yeah, Christian Mingle. Do you not know Christian Mingle? It's a dating. Okay, I, yeah. I, yeah, yeah. That's yeah, a weird yeah. thing to pull date. out, though. Anyway, what's that? What was the other one? J date. J date. I don't know. I don't know that one. That's the Jew. That's a Jewish one. I think it's the Jewish oh. one. There's um, also yes, like it I think that's what it, what's called. what's the farmer's daughter or whatever the the farming. <laughs> Do you know the there's a farming one. Yeah, yeah there's, there's more than one. Farmers. There's a farmer's one. Yeah, that's cool. Super cool. I like that. Any, anyways. <laughs> Good start. Solid, right on track start. <laughs> we're hanging out in the basement at the video store, and we're going to talk about 1990s Misery, directed by Rob Reiner, originally written uh, in 1987 as a novel by Stephen King and then adapted uh, by William Goldwyn. Uh, and we got uh, Barry Sonnenfeld doing, doing some DP. And uh, <laughs> what? <laughs> Am I not doing it? I'm not doing a good you know, job. You guys, it, you, it, I'm, no, I'm no, real shaky here. That There's a double We're entendre there. Sonnenfeld got his start actually filming DPs. Actually, really? that, is, that, is very, that is very true. He started in porn. I true. did not know that. See? He got, he got lucky with the Coen brothers. Um, oh, yeah. He, he started working with them and like got out of porn and started just became like a highly sought after um, DP. Yeah, <laughs> and uh, uh, <laughs> director of photography, and uh, then went on to be a very successful film director. Yeah, in his own right. Um, it's every porn wor- director's dream. Every porn. Well, he wasn't a porn director. He was a director of photography. Right. For porn. Sorry. Sorry. For for porn. A lot of guy. A lot of guys in that time area. In, in that time period. Time area. 
with some time area. That's a new thing. I want to know what are we what are we having to drink this evening when we talk about 1990s misery, Mickey? Well, I am still uh, dry January, but uh, I'm doing Athletic Brewing Company's All Out Extra Dark. It's an extra dark non-alcoholic beer. Uh, it's it's decent. I will say that you're better sticking with the IPAs and the lighter beers. The darker beers tend to be even less flavorful. So <laughs> I don't weird. recommend. I don't recommend. I, the, the Athletic Brewing Company is great, but their dark beers are not that good. Okay. Yeah, their IPAs are fantastic. Okay, great. And what is our spooky cocktail? Um, so today's recommended cocktail is a cockadoodie car. Um, it's inspired by <laughs> a sidecar, oh, except yeah, yeah. it's it's nothing like a, it. It's similar to a sidecar, only completely different. Um, so I had to use what was available to me. So we've got some vodka, some orange liqueur, like in a sidecar. Uh, but then to make it a cockadoodie car, you do a little bit of bitters, a little bit of pineapple, throw that on ice. And if you want to, throw it on the grill, set it on fire. But that's optional. <laughs> Sticking with the fire theme. Yes. And it's actually, it's pretty tasty. I was a little bit worried, but it's, uh, it's pretty good. That sounds, that, that sounds, that's, that's one I would try for sure. <laughs> that's the first time you've ever said that about any of my spooky cocktails. <laughs> Um, I I am uh, joining Mickey for Dry January by enjoying a dry red wine from a winery <laughs> called House. That that works. Yeah, that's nice. how it works, right? Mm-hmm. Well, um, I mean, yeah, a cocktail with dry vermouth could be a dry January drink. It's no Don Perignon, but it's pretty good. Actually, that was that was a very Michelangelo moment in that movie. I was like, <laughs> she pronounced it Don Perignon, and nobody corrected her. <laughs> that that did when I was watching it. It reminded me. I don't know if you guys remember this when we were in acting school. I uh, we were doing cold readings for a bunch of different stuff one day for our showcase, and uh, it was the Three Musketeers scene. And I was cold reading. I'm a terrible reader, especially back then, and. Uh, I'm reading D'Artagnan, but I don't know that I'm reading D'Artagnan because I can't read the name. And then in the scene, I get asked what my name is. And I go, oh, no. I am D'Artagnan. <laughs> and, and I think, oh. I, I think uh, uh, Ralphie was, or Rody, I can't remember which one of those guys was like, it's D'Artagnan, man. <laughs> I'm like, oh, D'Art- oh yeah, D'Artagnan. This is Three Musketeers. That makes more sense. And I, I got the part. I was D'Artagnan. <laughs> I was D'Artagnan. There you yeah. go. So this, this explains it, listeners. Josh Harchnich <laughs> and, uh, and, and McCready. A wolf uh, instead of wolves. There's a lot. Of, we can go through. There's a lot of them. There's a yeah, lot of them. Yeah. Um, uh, I got as many mispronounced words as there is Mickeyisms. Exactly. <laughs> um, so... Guys, what did you think? Uh, what are first impressions? And do we have any personal history uh, with Misery? Uh, I'd love to start with Marika. Uh, personal history, not so much. I, I think I'd already seen it. But then also part of me thinks that I think that I saw it. Because there's some, like, I remembered <laughs> the most iconic sections of it. 
while I was watching it, I was like, oh, yeah, I remember this. Like, you know, the thing with the spreader and the foot and the... So I was like, oh, did I just, like, see clips of it and I think I saw it? <laughs> so I wasn't... I wasn't too sure. I like I kind of doubted whether or not I had seen the whole thing. Uh, but I also have a terrible, terrible memory when it comes to remembering movies I've watched, which is super handy for this project that we have going on right now. Um, but I thoroughly enjoyed this film. Well, that's great to hear. See, I'm often very picky. <laughs> Disagree with your choices. Both. I was. Uses. I was worried. I was uh, worried but about this one. This I... one. Yeah. Really. Just because, uh, you know, we got a little, things got a little heated when we were talking about the thing. Um, so. And that was I my was just, <laughs> And yeah. So I was a little, uh, I was a little concerned, but, but we're ready to uh, steer it in the direction of uh, uh, constructive as opposed to um, bickering or arguing. No, I mean, it's, it's a solid film based on a solid book directed by a solid director. So I have no complaints. The end. Mickey? Um, shot by a solid DP. Um, <clears throat> so, yeah, uh, no, like, like heavy, like, personal stories with this one. I just know that I saw it uh, pretty soon after it came out on VHS. This is definitely one that my parents rented for us on a Friday night watch as a family. My parents love Stephen King. I love Stephen King. Um... So yeah, misery was has been part of my. I've I've saw it early when it came out. I've seen it subsequent times since. It's it is definitely you know a beloved film of mine. Uh, it's not one that I would consider in my like top faves, but it's just a great watch, you know. And even you know Molly watched it with me, and we remember she said two things that kind of stuck out when we watched it. She said number one, she goes, "Man, you guys are really going mainstream." And mm. number two, she said, uh, "Gosh, this is just still such a great movie, huh?" Yeah. And I was like, "Yeah, it's great." But um and and a lot of that I'm just gonna just say right now is a lot of that's Kathy Bates for me. This is oh yeah of course she's so I'm sure we'll talk about it. But that's but that's part of my, that's my history with it. Um, you know it's 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 a solid movie, man. It's good. Yeah. Um. I I also don't have like a like a crazy story connected to this. Uh. It was a uh, a late night watch with my dad. Uh, when I was in my early 20s, um, and it blew me away. I loved it. Um, and every I, this is my third or fourth time I've seen it. And um, the thing that, and, and you guys chime, like, Marika, you've already kind of mentioned a little bit of this already, but Mickey, um, maybe you chime in too. Uh, um, did you guys have the, I have this experience every time I watch it where two things happen. One, I forget the minute details. So I'm kind of surprised by uh, some of the beats that I like, I'm like, why didn't I remember that? And I remember things really well from film. I'm, I'm not like, I wish I was more like you, Marika. Cause like what a gift to not remember the movie you saw other than like, yeah. just remembering that you liked it. Um, and then two, like, like all the situations Paul Sheldon finds himself in, I'm constantly like, uh, maybe he's going to avoid it this time. Maybe, <laughs> maybe he's not. Maybe all these things that like happen on, aren't on going to happen. This watch of the movie, things are. 
<laughs> maybe he won't wreck the car. Maybe right. he. Uh, <laughs> maybe he'll he'll I like mean, get you the never knife. Know. Maybe you know you know. You never that, know. It, and th- and that's just that's I think that's a testament to uh, how well the story lays itself out. Um, Mickey, do you, do you do you have similar feelings? Yeah, I don't remember every beat when I'm like if you were to ask me prior to watching it from start to finish the beats. No, I couldn't tell you, but, but definitely as I'm watching it and every move that he makes, that seems smart in his way out of it immediately. It brings on, I'm already associating what's about to happen with that, that backfires, you know, it's like hiding the knife going like, Oh yeah. Oh yeah. You know? So there's, there's that. I mean, it's, it's a fun, like uh developing story that uh, continues. So, uh, you know, after every watch to, to not, it doesn't lose its steam after seeing it multiple times. I'll say that. Now, I've not seen it hundreds of times or anything like that, but but after multiple watches, it still has its. It's still fun to watch everything unfold. Are you guys? Do you remember the runtime? Like, if you were to guess what the runtime is, what would you think it is? Uh, hour forty. Isn't it two hours? You, you guys are both about right. It's an hour forty-seven, um, which surprised me because it cruises along very fast. You know, oh yeah, and and it, it, and given um, the fact that I I, I feel like uh, so many movies are so long now, you know, like in movies that oh, yeah. like Ant Man and the Wasp Lady, the Wasp Woman, or whatever that movie was called, the uh, the Marvel film. Uh, I think that thing was like two hour over two hours long, and then I'm like watching this. <laughs> um, you know, you're adapting a Stephen King book, which is admittedly kind of a short book for King. It's I think it's around a 450 pages. Uh, but it was just surprising to me that a it was under two hours, and b that it didn't it like cruised along. I mean, it, it it's it's seriously every every beat where you know once it's it's every beat of the film. I keep forgetting the minute details, and then like. Like I keep thinking he's going to he's going to get himself around it, and it's it's seriously throughout the entire thing, and it happens every time I watch it, which makes it fun, which makes it super <laughs> fun to watch, and I'm surprised that you, you know, and it might be because I haven't seen it uh, a baker's dozen, you know, I've only seen it three or four times now. Yeah, yeah. So I gotta say, I I, I the whole the whole first like I, I the the first like five seconds that this movie started. I was just like I kept having to pause it because I was writing down like I ooh, I love the Castle Rock Entertainment logo. I love the font of the opening credits. I love the sound of the typewriter and the texture of the carpets and the matchstick and the, just everything about the. I love the opening so much. <laughs> and oh, the, the the car he drives is a dream car of mine. What year is it? A sixty? What? It's a sixty-five. I'm a fan of the fastback. I don't know if that was a fastback. I am not car savvy do you think if he uh maybe wasn't driving so cocky and had worn his seatbelt, do you think we have a movie if he had just put his fucking seatbelt on depending on the year the car might not yeah seatbelts are relatively i was i was talking to ali about this last the other the other night um uh because we watched it together and i was like yeah the seatbelts like didn't become a regulation until recently and I might be talking out of turn here, but I think Ralph Nader was like the guy who like like made that happen. I I think I'm wrong, but I'm not sure. I'm recalling a drunk history episode, so that's not an accurate source of information. Uh, I don't know who Ralph Nader is. I mean, I know the name, but 
Uh, he ran for office in America a few times. Oh, got it. But do do you think we have a movie if he had worn his seatbelt? I mean, you, we're talking about a, a car that's made entirely out of steel. No airbags. It's not like he flew out the window. He still would have whacked his head. I mean, that car mm-hmm. flew. You're you're not coming out of that unscathed, even with a seatbelt. True, but I, f- I feel like it, it's a slightly different story. And his legs would have still been fucked up because your seatbelt isn't going to save your legs. Like, if your legs are going to get crushed, they're going to get crushed. I think, I think his legs got broke from, like, flying around because the car itself wasn't, like, you. that area Maybe. of the car. It wasn't like the car crushed in that area and his legs were pinned, you know? You know, this is all, this is all mm. just, you know, just... There's no right or right, right, right or wrong answer here. I feel like I feel like the only way that we could actually find an answer to this is to go back to the novel and see if the seatbelt was a thing. Like him not wearing the seatbelt was a thing that was. I, I don't know out. if they go back to this, but the book starts out and he's getting CPR from Annie, and he's he's. <laughs> oh. This is this is something Ali commented on, and you let me know uh, what you think, Marika. But um, he talks about he doesn't know what's happening. He's recalling memories from his youth, and he and he he's like he's being um, raped back to life by this woman's salty, leathery lips that are like breathing in like peanut butter fudge and and turkey gravy into his lungs. And it's, I read, you know, it's much more beautifully written. That's sort of like a synopsis of that section. And I read it to Allie, and she's like, I love how men can, like, write some poetic thing about being raped. <laughs> I mean, he's not... I mean... I... Yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's, a good, it's a good analogy. I feel like it, it, it gets... It it oh what's the word? I'm losing all my English words. <laughs> Say right the now. French words. Sa véhicule, sa véhicule. It like transmits. It it communicates the feeling of being yeah. violated. Like that word is what that's meant to be. Good, yeah, good foreshadowing. I mean, I don't know. I'd have to read the passage, but I kind of you know. I think that I could I could stand by that. And and Mickey, I, this is I think more of a question for you. Um, because I imagine you're up to date on your CPR training. The the mouth to mouth is it's gone now, right? It's just chest palpitations, right? Yeah, well, chest compressions. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> in my last course, uh, yeah, you you tilt the head back. You you the chin has to be, and then you do. I think actually no no you can do uh, chest palpitations, but then you listen for breath. If you don't hear any compressions, you do compressions, and then you uh, you blow back into the mouth you still do that yeah you still do mouth to mouth mm, that might be that might be a military thing because i've taken i've had to take my my first aid because i was working in a school um and they were like we you like i think it's for dummies like me like they've eliminated it because it was too complicated and people were doing it wrong so i was taught that you don't do that anymore you just do and how recently things. was that uh, two, no, wait, three years? Okay, because like that. that's what I've heard too, probably but recently. I haven't looked in far enough into it. And I figure Mickey probably knows better because I imagine you have to stay up on those things. Yeah, we do an annual lifesaver, combat lifesaver thing, and one of them is that. 
but, but also, See, but also we do a nasopharyngeal tube and stuff like that. Yeah, so you're like, <laughs> you're not exactly doing like the babysitting first aid course. <laughs> you're literally learning how to save someone's life at war. Speaking <laughs> like... of blood, what do we th what do we think of the the, the, the uh, special effects and the makeup in this movie? Is, is is it spot on? Is it over the top? What do we think? I didn't see any problem. I thought it was good. Anything in particular you're you're talking about? Did something stand out to you? Oh, I loved it, and like especially when he wakes up after the car accident and he looks like all fucked up. Yeah, it's I like it good. he looks great, and when they show his oh god, his feet and his legs. Oh, the legs. I can't watch. Yeah. I cannot watch. I always watch it through my hands. The scene where she does the thing with the sledgehammer. You know, it's pretty brutal, man. It is one of the <laughs> most graphic scenes in cinema. And I, yeah. I'm talking about like, you know, if I were having a conversation with Eli Roth, I'd be like, you know, I'm telling you this, this is effective without being, you know, what's the, the I don't even think of a good word for what, you know. Gratuitous? Gratuitous. Yeah, sure. That's perfect. Yeah, gratuitous. It's so, it's as effective as a lot of like real gruesome things you see without being, yeah, gratuitous. Perfect. I mean, I feel like the reason why it's so effective is because of everything around it like if we had seen the this exact same like effect we'll call it an effect um in a saw movie or in a war movie or in like some weird twisted like sci-fi torture movie we'd be like oh that's gross man but like the fact that it's so brutal in the context in which it's happening where like this woman is quote unquote caring for this man and she's like she she flips out a couple times before that happens but like it's not an overly violent movie it's not like she's clearly abusive so then for her to go to those lengths at that point in the story is absolutely shocking and i think the reason yeah, I think the reason that it's so effective is that it it's because it's so shocking in that yeah, context. I'll, I'll add, I'll, I agree, and I'll add that the performances add a lot, and James Caan's performance just leading up to that, where he's kind of like pleading a little bit, you know. And there's, it's very effective because yeah. you're. I I think that as a viewer, he puts you in that place with him. I just feel like his performance is very understated, and I don't feel like he gets. I think her performance overshadows his in the public's memory, but he is so good. Yeah, I think that they were given a script that is truly, like, fantastic, and the direction was amazing. And so, contrary to a lot of things that we've butted heads about, is that everything that he did, to me, was a good decision. Like, whether or not they, it worked out, he was making smart choices. And he was like trying smart things. And it all made sense to me. And I was looking at him doing stuff. And yeah, hey, go do, yeah, do that. And sometimes he was doing stuff and I was like, oh, I wouldn't have thought of doing that, but that's smart. Yeah, yeah, that'll work. That'll work for sure. And like you keep thinking that that'll work because he's, he's actually being wise in what he's trying to do. And I think that he plays it really well. And then when he starts playing along and like you know cozying up to her and being friendly and all of that you know again you're like yeah okay he's in self-preservation mode and doing what he must and hopefully this is the thing that's gonna work 
He tries so damn hard, man. <laughs> and you're with them the whole... I'm with them the whole time. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, I'm, for sure. I'm, and I'm also... Yeah, yeah. I feel a deep sympathy for Annie at the same time. Not that I want her to succeed. I do not want her to succeed, but I do feel a deep sympathy for her character. Do you guys... Did you guys feel that as well? Or are you like, this fucking person is crazy and screw them, and I hope he fucking smashes her head with a tap typewriter? I, I know how I feel, but I'd like to see Marika's take first. I'd like to hear what Marika has to say. Um, no, we want to see it. Marika, can you, can you, can you do a it. visual thing for us in this uh, audio platform? Of how, of how Annie <laughs> makes you feel. <laughs> yes. Look, so it's something like this. Whoa. Wow. Oh, wow. That was, oh immediately that, was, right? that was immediately that was immediately gratifying. I totally understand what you're saying or showing us. <laughs> Man, you, right? I mean, I did study theater for a number of years. Listener, so. I wish you could have seen this. Oh my I god, it was that was beautiful. better than the movie itself. Beautiful. <laughs> Thanks, guys. It's really kind of you. What, what was? What was the question again? Um, did you did you feel did you feel sympathy for Annie despite despite the fact that she you know she's doing terrible things and she's a terrible person? Oh, I think that's the beauty of that character and how Kathy like how she pulled it off. It's you. I don't you. I mean, I you also. I also know where it mm -hmm. goes. Right, like. I think that an audience who maybe hasn't read the book and saw it when it first came out, like not knowing exactly who this character is, I suspect the the trailers were also kind of going like, and she's crazy. Um, but like, I liked the character, but not because she was likable. Mm -hmm. And not because... No, I didn't. I didn't feel bad for her. And then when the whole note, the memory yes. lane book, you always forget about memory out, lane. I was like, oh yeah, that's, no, okay, that's it's super fucked up. up. It does such a good job in the story of like really crystallizing what Paul needs to do now and what he's dealing with. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Also, it made me think about. <clears throat> sorry, about. How much, and I mean, I'm going to make a sweeping generalization and take this with a grain of salt, but like how much easier it was to tell stories about these kinds of situations or a bunch of other situations when the internet was not a thing and people didn't have smartphones with GPS. Yeah. <laughs> Because you could just have like a, oh, he vanished off the map and we don't know where he is. And, oh, there's this new, there's this woman and we don't know where she came from. And you literally have to like have a character go to the library and go through, you know what I mean? Like, there's something that's lost in the fact that information is easily accessible. And I think that that's, a, that's detrimental to storytelling. That's, that brings up. Or like, you know, any, any horror movie that like has to be like, oh man, we don't have cell reception here. <laughs> like, okay, now we can move that, on. That with the brings movie. up Sheriff Buster, portrayed by Richard Bonsworth, who is God. Holy motherfucking I shit! I love him, listener. You, oh, he's like became a Hollywood stuntman when he was sixteen. 
and then transitioned into an actor and has been in so many things. Uh, you might know him from Anne of Green Gables if you watched that. Um, uh, Marika, did you see that's a, it's a Canadian thing, but I don't know if it's an American. It is. It, it, so it is actually Canadian because I know it's set in Canada, but I didn't know if it was like an American thing. That's like the production. Well, uh, the, the book, it's like it, it happens in Canada, I believe. Right. Yes. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So absolutely. anyways, let's not talk about Anne of Green Gables, although we should talk about Anne of Green Gables at some point. <laughs> We'll do it. We'll do an that's episode about horror, Anna. That's in the horror <laughs> section. That's that's Anna in the Green horror Gables. section. That's not horror. Um, <laughs> um, but he's been in a bunch of stuff, and I was absolutely obsessed with Sheriff Buster and his wife, uh, uh Virginia. Dude. They were amazing. They do such a good job oh. of making you care for him, and and, and like, kind of like what you were saying earlier. Like, there's no internet, so he just starts reading all the books. You know, he's just they, 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 yes. like that, that first scene with him. You're kind of like, oh, OK, when Lauren Bacall calls is the agent. Uh, Mar Marcia, I think. Marcia, Marcia, Marcia uh, Sindel, uh, Lauren Bacall, the great Lauren Bacall uh, plays Paul Sheldon's agent. And uh, she calls him and you're kind of like, ah, is this one of them good old boys. It's going to be a pain in the ass. And then he really turns into this like fully fleshed out character within his relationship with his wife is amazing. And you really care about this guy and you Dude. get to see. Yeah. And his wife and, and his wife. And, and, and like you, I think the movie does a very good job of like giving us breaks from this two hander. Yeah with the sort of detective story of him figuring things and just thinking and figuring things out. And I want, I want all of his wardrobe from the movie. Interesting. Yeah. His coat's great. It's a good style. Very Colorado. <laughs> They're so great. And like, okay. Francis Sternhagen is also the kind of actor that I'm like, man, I've stopped acting a while ago, but I was like, Maybe when I get to a certain age, I can like, start again and then just do the kinds of things that she's doing because she's fantastic. And you know, but she I was think she was doing like there's... she was a. Uh, uh, <laughs> I'm sorry, I don't mean to crush your dreams, but she was working heavily in in the uh, uh, in the theater and like in in like gigantic productions, just like Kathy Bates, who like this is kind of her first thing. This is her breakthrough performance, and like. She had done like a bunch of like like very successful and well known theater productions, but like not so much in film and television yet. And there she is. She comes comes out with a freaking Oscar. Do you guys think uh, James Caan got a little snub there? Do you think he should have should have maybe had a, a a nomination? I don't know who else was up that year. Well, that was the year of Goodfellas. Um, it was the same year as uh, oh, there were some other big ones that year. Um, I mean, there were good nominations across the board. Um, I think Awakenings was that year. I don't know, uh, but I think that James Caan's performance is great. Um, I think that probably the people that were nominated were also great. But I think that what what happens often is that we 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 focus on the bigger performance, and Kathy Bates's performance is much larger than his. His is very understated, but I, I think he is great. Um, let me ask you, so this is something that happened in the film, and I want to know what you guys think about it, because I've, I've had similar issues and, and, while performing and things. So uh, apparently, 
according to the research. Um, uh, Kathy Bates and James Kahn, like, you know, clashed a little bit in their styles of acting. Kahn comes from the Meisner technique at the, what is it, the, the, the neighborhood playhouse in New York, um, where, uh, you know, you, you run the lines until you know them by rote, but not with any emphasis on it, right? And then you don't rehearse, you don't actually rehearse in the traditional sense intention yeah yeah and then and then you sort of just you you perform what's there in the scene right and and kathy wanted to rehearse they had some tension there do you where do you guys fall in line with with that i i i've ran into issues where i've literally had like scene partners uh just like i'm not i'm not like in classes being like uh, because i'll explain this to them i'm like i don't want to rehearse a scene with you in your living room uh, I'm down to talk about the script. I'm down to run lines for as long as you want, but I I'm only running through the scene with you in class because that's where a teacher will be who will help us inform what we're doing. Um, and I've literally had people be like, "Okay, I'm not doing a scene with this guy. I don't want to work with him." And I'm fine with that. I'm like, "Okay, good. That's good. You know what you want, and I'll be a problem for you. So I appreciate you doing this." Where do you guys fall in that line of like when when it comes to that sort of thing, you know? Oh man, if I had a scene partner that was like, I don't want to rehearse at all. Like I, I'll, I'll talk about it, but I won't run it. That would I would not be okay with that. No, I'll, I'll run lines. What I'm saying is, I'll run the lines with you. I'll do uh, exercises with you. I'll uh, um, uh, I'll talk about it with you. But uh, like, I, I, I don't know. Like, if you if if you've ever studied acting, you've like. How helpful is it to like run the scene in someone's living room? You know what I mean? Where it's like you're just watching yourself. I don't want notes from the other person unless it's a person I truly respect. That's a different thing. But like, well, I mean, it's it's a loaded question. But <clears throat> I mean, listen, yeah. listen. Here's my thing, right? And I'm just gonna say this. This is this is for the film itself. That's why you have a director. And if a director wants you guys to rehearse, he should pr- provide a rehearsal space or put you in a position where he can be a part of the rehearsal and walk you guys through it. If an actor has a has a particular style or method or way that he gets to performance and you're another actor, then you guys have to meet somewhere uh, <laughs> in between. And if he doesn't want to perform, he just wants to run lines, then I think you have to meet him there, to be honest. You know, I just... because. You know, that's just certain people's crafts. And, you know, we can't, it's like you can't, you know, if this were any other medium where somebody's like, this is kind of how I get to where I need to be with my art, then we need to kind of respect that and let that person do their process. Oh, what are you like? <laughs> are you a person who's like, no, I want to rehearse. I want to re- like go through the scene. No, I, I actually, I actually think rehearsal kills. I think, I think rehearse, it depends on what you mean by rehearsal. Rehearsing, like going over lines with somebody, making sure you're off book with someone. Like when I worked with Jeff Daniels, it was uh, obviously I need to very clarify that for our listener. Hold well on, drop. <laughs> no, 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 Okay, in the tiny little one-line scene that I had in a TV show with Jeff Daniels, that blew me away. When no, I but saw what it. I know now, but what I noticed about Jeff Daniels was was that he would get together with the cast and we would all go through our lines of the entire scene, and he would just be doing the lines as. Just as monotone as I'm doing it right now, he would just do his lines like this, and he would just walk go through him just to make sure that he's off book and he didn't do anything. But he didn't know what any performing, he didn't know what anybody, did, you know. And I appreciated that because when it came time, his energy was there. There was no like it was almost like he is a he he just knows what he needs 
to be in that. And he is, I think, a very good actor. Short, long story short, I agree with that. You have to meet people where they are. I think that you can overrehearse something, and I think you can commit yourself to a performance before it's actually time to perform that can hurt you when it comes time to perform. That's I'm I'm sort of in this uh, similar similar place too, where um, yeah, you don't want to like lose it. So, how many times have you sat in front of a typewriter and wrote wrote fuck 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 fuck? Uh, never. Oh well, you're a version of fuck fuck. You you never sat down to write something and you're just like, I suck. I'm a piece of sh-. you know, you, you, just whatever that might be. Just like I got nothing. Nope. Steady. No. Never. Steady stream of brilliance. <laughs> 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 of course. How could we ever doubt you? Come on, Mickey. That can't be. Is it true? Honestly. No, it's not true. No, no, no. I yeah, sure. Of course. Of course. Marika? I've never written. I don't think I actually write though, like <laughs> anything. I think I'm more just. Well, you like... create. You have you 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 actually create stuff though. I've, I've I've seen some of the films you've made. Like, I I'm saying. I'm I saying think he doesn't actually write. Fuck fuck fuck. Or I'm something a piece of like shit. I'm a piece of shit or anything like that. Oh, I think okay. more of anything. I'd end up like, kind of like just sitting there, like just tapping. I tap a lot. I'll tap beats and then I'll start playing like music with my, with my hands and stuff. I don't know. Yeah, that's basically me. Marika? Uh, I definitely... Anytime I've tried to follow Stephen King's writing advice of, like, just sit and write. Or anytime I've, like, participated in NaNoWriMo. What? NaNoWriMo? Explain. Please. Ooh! Yay! Get to... So, NaNoWriMo is the National Novel Writing Month. So, NaNoWriMo. Oh. Um, and it's in November. And it's basically this this idea or this initiative that you can write a, a book within 30 days. And so a bunch of people, it's kind of like Inktober. I don't know if you know what Inktober is, which is for people who draw where like every day in October you have a, a, a drawing prompt, basically. And so for 30 days, 31 days, you like sit down and you'll draw. So NaNoWriMo is the equivalent for writing. Um... But then the idea is that you write a 50,000-word novel in 30 days, and I'll let someone else do the math on that. Um, and so you, like, if you commit to, like, you you start the project, and you're like, okay, I'm doing this, and then you have to, like, put in your word count every day, and it's just to develop that writing habit, basically. If, you're, if like me, you're not familiar with that, there are, like, you might be more familiar if you're in the arts with the 24 hour uh, film or play festivals where it's yep, like yep. you get together with people and you create a film, a short film or a, a short play within 24 hours. But this, this sounds uh, uh, much for, more fulfilling and way yep. more challenging to do it over an entire month. Yep. And you've done that. How many times have you done this? I mean, I've written, I've completed twice. Wow. So sometimes you don't make it all the way through. I mean, there was one year where I started and then my computer fell on the floor. It was like November 14th, oh. I think. And my computer, which oh. was already struggling, like took a tumble onto a floor and died. And I didn't have a backup of what I'd written that year. And I was like, that's just oh. not going to happen. Um, and there were other years where like you start and then like I work in production. So like work gets in the way. And if you're on a shoot yeah. and you're away and you know, like there's, yeah. there's that reality as well. But I have managed to write 50,000 words twice. 
Three so I'm pretty happy with that. That's no small feat. But that being said, mm-hmm. especially during NaNoWriMo, the idea is that you're just getting through your 25. What's the math? Hold on. I don't know. I don't know how to say. You have to write 1,666 mm-hmm. words okay. a day. And so, so like you have to sit down and you have to like write every day. And there are times where you sit down and if I'm not going to be adding to my novel, but I know I have to write, I will open a document and be like, yep. so it, it more often turns into like journaling, which I know that this character was not at liberty to do, but it's like, I had cereal. It is cold outside. <laughs> I don't feel like writing. Yeah. My book sucks, but I'm going to keep going because maybe one day (laughs) it's less it's less venting as it is just like writing something for the sake of writing. That being said, I know that like when I was a teenager, writing was and I think I'm less angry now than I was. I say that when I was a teenager, it's still the case now, but I'm less angry now than I was when I was younger. But, like, when I was angry, that's how it came out. Like, I'm not an aggressive person. I'm not a confrontational person. I'm not, like, so I, if I'm not careful, like, I just, like, absorb all my own anger, which is good for no one. So I'm very much, like, an express your rage through writing. You know, um, one thing that I, I've started doing over the last, like, three or four years to get me to write is I get excitable. Like, I'm a very excitable person, so if I get an idea that feels very exciting to me or fresh or something, I'm like, oh, that's kind of a new idea, Mickey. Wow, you need to get that down on paper or you need to write that. Um, Because I, I can't type fast enough as my mind goes. Yeah, I will. I, I will sit there and record me just riffing on my idea. Oh, yeah. And then I'll save the recording and I'll go to IBM's Watson and it will transform transpose transcribe it yeah trans transpose transcribe the entire thing for me that's completely transcribed and it's essentially like the um, synopsis treatment oh, I call yes it treatment, treatment. Okay. It's, yeah because so, I, 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 I almost right. exclusively now write screenplays only like i don't ever spend any time writing just for writing's sake anymore it's all about like i eventually feel like i'm going to write a good screenplay so i'm constantly have one that i'm working on at all times but that's that's one way that i get there as far as writing goes is just like really getting down and just recording my excitableness because i'm because i get really amped and in, in, in the energy that i have at the moment i don't want to lose and I get bogged down with that energy when I'm trying to type at the speed that my mind wants to write. I'm fortunate enough that I can actually type, I mean, many typos, <laughs> but I can pretty much type at my, um, at no, my speed can, of yeah, thought. That's amazing. Yeah, that's phenomenal. I can't, yeah, I'm and very you can do envious. you in multiple languages. Oh, which, is all, which also causes problems. Uh, I mean, minor problems. But I'll be writing something in either language and then there's a better saying in it it it, there's a better saying or a better turn of phrase in the other language so then i'll write it in the other language just to like get that thought out or like write the word out because there's a better word in english or french for the specific thing i'm trying to say so then i have to like go through everything i write twice three four times to like find the proper word that i could (laughs) because i won't stop if i'm writing something and i actually have like some sort of an See, there's another example. 
I'm not going to stop and be like, oh, what's the proper word for supernumerary in French? I don't know. I don't give a shit. I'll write it in English and then figure it out later. Um, but yeah, that's a challenge. Um, hey, guys. Yeah. It's pee time. But one thing I do want to talk about in, in, in regards to misery, we're actually talking about misery on this episode. From I'm going to say it now, snow, snow place we're like at- death. No place <laughs> Which like I haven't death. Said yet. Yeah, I was gonna say. Let's uh, bring snow that place up. like death, and we'll we'll get to all that later. But uh, um, how much of a comedy is this to you guys? How much did this play as a comedy? I'll bet it's definitely a a, a dark comedy. Um, but yeah, Marika. I mean, I think the only parts that I would actually consider properly comedy is the sheriff and his wife. Okay. That's that spice I was talking about. Because um, it's all about context, yeah. right? And I feel like that's, those are the bits that to me stood out as being actually funny. Um, I think that if, had they not been there, I probably would have something else that's coming up top of mind as being funny within the rest of the film. But they were just such shining stars. Um Oh, I love yeah. them so much. I want to be yeah. them. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and like they were funny, but they were like a cute couple, and they cared about each other. And I was, spoiler alert, so devastated oh, when he dies. Yeah. Like, cause, cause they're like they're quippy with each other, but it's not like, oh, my wife, am I right? There's that. There's that spice <laughs> I was talking sweet. about. Right, but it's cute. I, I love like, it where, where she's anyway. like, I don't um, know who you're sleeping with, but like, she likes a lot of books, and he's like, I'm, gl- I, I'm flattered that you think I have the energy for this. <laughs> yes, <laughs> they're so great. It's, I mean, because oh, it's, 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 it's a masterful so uh, screenwriter writing great dialogue for two yeah. amazing actors. Um. Yeah. Yeah. Based on, I'm assuming, like, very good source material as well. Well, I, 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 again, I haven't read it completely all the way through, but, like, I do know that the, uh, according to the information I looked up, the sheriff's role is very minuscule, much smaller in the, in right. the book. Then, then it was a very good move to add more of well, that. Well, you care, you care about him. And I feel like many, many films need more characters like them where they're just, they're, I mean, they're not there a ton, but you immediately like become attached to them because they're yeah, sweet. they're sweet, and you get their relationship, and like you you care you care more about yeah. him because you care about his relationship with his wife, and you care about her, and like if he dies, then like you care. Yeah. Oh, it's a loss for her, and he's dead, and a lot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, uh, Mickey, it's masterful yes, writing, really masterful. Uh, Mickey, what did you find this funny out, outside of? what Marika was talking about, did you find like Annie funny? Well, I, I thought a lot of Annie's lines were hilarious, but um, it plays. It's okay. Sorry. So that's funny. You should say that. I actually wrote down in my notes about Barry Sonnenfeld and Rob Reiner. Uh, they shoot it kind of like a comedy. Um, a lot of like 
two, like you put both your actors in the scene, you kind of give them space to move and do things, which is a very comedic style of like shooting. Um, they also did those claustrophobic, like, like tight shots of Annie's face for certain lines that really kind of like deliver a dark sense of humor. Uh, there are like the lines like, um, I'm going to go put on my Liberace records. It's like, it's, <laughs> oh, you like it's, Liberace, it's, right? it's such a perfect choice that she adores Liberace. And it's so funny. But here yeah. is, and this goes back to your early question about sympathy for Annie. I have zero sympathy for Annie. And in some ways, this film is foreshadowing something that really bothers me inherently in the world. And so for that reason, every time I want to laugh, I think the dark underbelly of this film uh, reminds me not to be too swooned by the funny delivery or her nature, because there's something really deep and dark about her that I have no sympathy for. I hear you. What is the foreshadowing? Well, I think that there is. Uh, so, like, I grew up with Annie Wilkes's in my life, and uh, they're these. Like, <laughs> I believe it so much. No, they're, they're sweet conservatives, Puritans. That oh, that cockadoodie, and you know, don't say that the language. No, Mister you know, Man, like, you dirty bird, you dirty birdie. You know, it's like there's there's. I grew up around people like this that were in my mind. They were some of the most evil people around. They they right. were very oppressive. Very like non-tolerant humans towards other people, but because of their sweet disposition and the way they acted, everybody just thought they were the salt of the earth. Yep. Oh, she's and so sweet. It really, yeah. it really like scratches the back of my neck when I watch this film. Oh, I like that. Not that it, not, not that it bothers you, but like I've never lived that. And so that is really interesting to me. Yeah. So Kathy Bates, I mean, she does such a good performance in, and and I think capturing what is truly dark about that person, and I know that 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 she also suffers, you know, uh, mental disease. So I don't want to just I understand that part of it too. But there's also something about like rural conservative Puritan values, and at what degree you go to to uphold those things, and just like you know. I.e., you can't swear, but you can absolutely keep someone captive you in your can, house yeah. and drug him. And, and murder people <laughs> in order to get positions yeah. and succeed. Yeah, exactly. Career. Yes. So, 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 yes. So, so is it funny? It's deceptively funny. But for me, the, the darkness always outweighs the humor. So I, I can't almost, it almost like, I'd call it, instead of a dark comedy, I'd say it's a comedy that's fucking dark. It's fucking dark. <laughs> so a dark no, comedy. No, no. A dark comedy makes it feel like, oh, it's it's a comedy with some dark elements. No, this is a comedy that yeah. no, no, yeah. it's fucking dark. This is just really dark. Yeah. That's gonna be yeah. when when we start yeah. our Patreon, we're gonna have a, a coffee blend. It's gonna be the Annie Wilkes coffee blend. It's very dark. It's very really dark, dark. But you're gonna drink it and you're gonna laugh. Yeah. And it comes um, accompanied with a with a little forty five Liberace forty five record. <laughs> I probably is, have some of those. That, you seriously? That's probably. crazy. You take photos. We'll do we'll do a Patreon yeah. episode where I no, go but take some photos. We'll post them uh, when we're posting some stuff on our Instagram. Um, I I laughed a lot 
during this. I did not laugh the first time I watched it as much, but I think that's just because like terror and comedy are so closely related. Right? That like Agreed. I'm I'm uh, there'll be scenes where Annie will do something and I will laugh hysterically and then I think why am I laughing right now? <laughs> like I'm laughing because I'm uncomfortable. <laughs> I'm a well, sick, I'm a individual. sick individual. I'm I, I'm uncomfortable, and like I I'm also like appreciating the performance element of it because it's like yeah. I would not be laughing if I was Paul, <laughs> you know. It's just it's it's like it's like very it's like awkward comedy to the extreme point. Yeah, with sure. with a lot of this stuff, I, I um. I, I have a note on another funny part of the movie that I, I wrote down yeah. while we're on it. This is not Annie. This is uh, James Conn. The way that James Conn looks at the pig when he first sees that pig. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's, it's so crystally expressed. <laughs> yeah. That, that, that look. I, I, I looked over at Molly during that look because I've only seen that look one other time. And it's, it's the way Molly looks at me when I try to make a joke. <laughs> When I try to make a joke in public about her farting. <laughs> Full circle. Pure, the look of pure hate and disgust. <laughs> and like, oh, it's, that's it's like, funny. Yeah. So I remember, I just, I was like, that, that look of James Conn's, that to me was Oscar worthy right then there. Brilliant. Brilliant. And like, it's, it's interesting watching it now. Because I feel like if you watched it, if you watch it in 1990 when it comes out, you're kind of on his side of like, yeah, that's a pig, that's disgusting. But like now we know pigs actually are like make great household pets, and like I'm kind of like I kind of like appreciate <laughs> that he doesn't like the pig, <laughs> and it feeds into some other things on another level. But I'm also kind of like that. It's a cute pig. Like, what's your problem? This brings up another thing about this film, right in line with that, where it's like a part of me feels like, in a modern lens, looking at this, this this almost feels like he's being an elitist and putting times. down and, and putting down people who are not from the big city, like 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 big city folks somehow always look down on people from the country, and I think that's a a minor thing that's strung throughout it but like it's interesting hearing it from you because you're yeah well no i i felt you it know from this watch and i don't remember feeling it in previous watches but i remember like watching it now being like huh i bet if you were somebody who lived in rural america watching this film right now you would probably walk away much like angry at james con in many ways watching this film well, he, he acts like an elitist his dom Perignon, his cigarette he has to have he doesn't well, like uh, uh, animal that what well, I I see what you're saying, but like, he's it. This is like a these are special occasion things. These yeah. are like part of his ritual, right? Mm -hmm. You know, that's true. That's true. Marika, yeah. what what were you 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 uh, displayed a little disagreement? Like, uh, please elaborate. Rural Americans, not rural Canadians. Oh, then okay. I have nothing to say. <laughs> no. No, I'm kidding. Um, Mickey makes a good point. I want to hear the other side of it. It's hard to tell because his only interaction with anyone is this woman who's holding him captive. 
So I don't think that his opinion of, I mean, his opinion is entirely informed by this one woman who's literally chained him to a bed. So I didn't get that feeling. I mean, I got the feeling of like someone who has places to be and things to do, which I don't think in and of themselves are elitist. I didn't get that feeling. I, I hear that. Um, I hear both sides of what you're saying. I, I, I was reminded when I was watching this because I, I do feel like it's a very thin layer that's there. Well, I, I think that they, they write in there a little bit with, with how they have Annie behave. And it's her behaving this way, not him. But she's like, oh, well, I'm not, I'm not fancy like you, Paul, up there. And, you know, then she does that thing. And he's like, no, no, it's fine. But he says it in the James Conn smug way where sometimes it plays. Uh, like when they're eating at the table where you're like, where he comes off slightly elitist. Sp speaking of that dinner, God, how devastated are you? When that wine, when she spills the wine. Oh, it's you, maddening. It's, it's so maddening. maddening. And do you guys, okay, because there's theories about this. What do you guys think about that spill? Did she do it intentionally, knowing she oh, knows? She knows. She knows. Okay. She's got to know. She's got to know. Why, Mary? She's got to know. I think, I think that she knows that he took a thing okay. of pills, for starters. And then also, like, she's like, ooh, he's doing this. But she also knows that she's keeping him captive. She's not an idiot. Like, she's literally holding a prisoner. She's not going to be that dumb. Because she's not dumb. That's what I love about this movie, is that neither of yeah. them are dumb. Which is what makes it interesting and compelling, is that both of them make good decisions. Like, for better or for worse, but like... Mickey, your thoughts? Yeah. Yeah, no, I agree 100% with Marika. I think that Annie did know, and I think that Annie Annie operates much more manipulative than we than she lets on. I think she's she is very coercive and violent, and I think that uh, Paul underestimates her, which is something elitists will do. Okay, yeah, yeah. And oh, we're back to the elitism. Back to the elitism, and 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 to further go into this direction of this theory is that when he's pouring the uh, pills into that little paper thing he made, the camera view is one we haven't seen before. And it, the idea behind the theory is that that's her, the view that you're seeing him as he's putting the stuff into the, uh, you know, where it's, it's not his point of view, it's the opposite, right? We go 180. That's through the keyhole. Ooh, interesting. Yeah, yeah. And I was like, oh, okay, okay. I, I, I hear that because when I watch it, I instinctively think she drops it by accident. But then when you add that layer of she did this on purpose because she knows. She saw it. Yeah, I'm, I, and I, yeah. I, I like that it's not, we don't have a definitive answer yes. one way or the other. And I don't, I don't want to know. Uh, just, just, just like at the end of the thing, I don't want to know. I just want to think about it. Well, let's, let's add another layer. So, so, so she's been spying on him, right? Cause we know that she also finds the knife. We know other things that she seems to be clued. Well, that, that was, that was a thing that was like the whole time I'm sitting there talking to Allie and I'm like, she's going to notice. 
her chef's knife. Like, yeah, of I course. Would, if, I, if I was in the kitchen, like, if you're a, a person who cooks. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Your chef's knife is gone? Yeah, no. <laughs> you you would notice your chef knife gone. Yes. You know, I'm like, dude, you need to go with, like, a fucking <laughs> knife or, like, steal a fork or, like, something where there's multiple of them and then maybe yeah. she won't notice. Yeah. You know? But also... But also, does that also lend to just talking about good storytelling? That also lends to the fact when the paper is wrong. The paper is wrong. Well, she gets the wrong type of paper. For oh, her. oh, oh, yes, smudge. Okay. yeah, the smudge. That, 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 that is a cue to her being that well prepared or knowledgeable that she that was something she overlooked. That she's like, she, of course, she's losing yep. her shit because that is a detail that she would never have thought to have overlooked, and she. Oh, she got it. yeah, she got. She got the most expensive kind. And th that that brings up something I need to talk about with you guys because that scene is the, the 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 seed of this question, which is <laughs> have you have you ever felt like Annie? Have you ever felt like and I don't mean obviously, I don't mean to the extreme of like, you know, kidnapping, kidnapping someone. <laughs> And like, and like, you know, murdering people to get what you want in life, but like the, the more in reference to, to that, like, I feel that way sometimes with Allie where like, I do something really nice, but then she's like, oh, but this, and I'm like, oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. 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 Fine. Sure. I just, I, yes. Okay. You just need all this fancy stuff. And then also, oh my God, it's turning into a therapy session. Also. <laughs> I know, I know. Also, more so, more so in the scene where she has the blues and she comes in and she's all depressed and he's like, what's wrong? And she gives this like beautiful little monologue about how like, um, um, essentially like in its most innocent form is like, you're better than me and I'm worried about losing you because I'm not like, I, I know that I'm not like you. Um, so my, my, it's a two part question. Have you ever felt like Annie, but then also have you ever felt like Paul, but obviously not in the extremes that they find themselves in. Nikki. Yeah, no, I think that <laughs> I've, I think that Michelangelo and I both are very much act like Annie, uh, when we found out that Marika didn't like the thing. <laughs> <laughs> it was it was like you killed misery chastain we were both yeah like, no no what no okay 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 it's all right it's okay so i think we both and I actually I, I think that this film is brilliant to back up against the thing because it's about fandom and it's about you know allowing the creators just to be the effing creators and not losing our shit because we think everything is canon and so special to us and divine to our particular you know it's like this is my thing now no it's not it's theirs and so i think it's a great backup to the thing so in in short yes i think that when it comes to falling in love with somebody's art and falling in love with what somebody's created and then making it feel personal i do that all the time <laughs> so in that way i'm i'm very much like annie and as far as being like paul i don't think that there is i don't think that i've i'm not at a paul no i don't i've never felt like paul America. Wait, what's the Paul side of it again? You know what 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 uh what Paul's going through. Oh, like in, feeling in like you're so adored, but it's a pain. <laughs> a, a lot of the stuff 
uh, is coming from being in uh, relationships, uh, mostly in, in small degrees and like feeling like one end or the other, like I, I am, uh, I am worthy or like, uh, I mean, I, I wish you would just relax, you know, go ahead, Marika. I mean, there's, there's a lot of, there, there are a lot of different contexts to which that question can be applied. Um, yeah, of course. I think that I can say that I've been on either side of either thing. Um, yeah, that's what, that's what I want to hear. Or like, I've, you know, I've been in relationships where they're like, oh, I don't deserve you. I'm like, oh, okay, well then. I'm going to go do something else then. Um, when someone is like in, in adoration, it's, it's an odd dynamic. I've cut relationships off and been told that I, I don't want to get into that, but anyway, so yeah, so I have been, I mean, obviously not to the extent where someone like tied me to a bed and (laughs) was forcing me to write books. Yeah, of course, of course. But, um, it's not. Yeah, I don't know. Because it's a less extent, I don't think that this is particularly interesting. That being said, if we're tra- if we're comparing the- I think that it's easier to in a discussion compare this to our our fandoms and things that we love versus personal relationships that we've been in. We can maybe save that for another episode. <laughs> like my favorite band of all time is Rammstein, and I've had to you know, my favorite band is not U2. My favorite band is not a band that people like. My favorite band is a band that people have a lot of opinions about and or, like, thoughts about or they think that they know things about them or they don't know them at all. And so I've gone to bat for my favorite things often. <laughs> and so to me, I'm just like, well, that's just par for the course. And if people don't like it, I understand that, like, what I like is not necessarily someone else's cup of tea. Because if I was like, oh, I really like Coldplay, and I get mad at people who don't like Coldplay, like, that's a whole other bag of chips. Rammstein is a band that I am fully aware (laughs) is not for everyone. And so I I will try to bring it to as many people as I can, and 75% of people are like, that is not for me. And I go, cool, you know what? I really, really, really love this band. (laughs) It's okay if you don't. Uh, so that's, that's why I find it somewhat amusing when you guys get really, really upset <laughs> when I don't like the same movie that you guys like. Because it's not that person, because, like, the most important band to me, and, like, they mean, ev- literally, they mean everything to me. The fact that someone else doesn't like them has zero impact on me. You said something earlier, Marika, that was that 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 is very much explains why Mickey re- Mickey and I react the way we do is Mickey uh, chime in if you agree with me. But like when you sometimes when you say something about the thing that we love, what we're hearing is this is stupid. Right. And that's where the gut reaction of like, no, no, you're wrong. It's great. Yeah, I'm the fan. I am the fan of this thing, and this thing is important to yeah. me, and it's important to the world, and everyone needs to understand that it's important to the world for these reasons, yeah. and it's these reasons are important because I feel them. Yeah, 
right? I feel them, and because I feel something, it's important. Yeah. And it's a very, it's a very childish feeling to have, and that's like that's where a lot of my sympathy from Annie comes from is that she is like it's 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 all coming from a very childish place, like a child that has wiring that's wrong, like the bad the 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 movie and the play Bad Seed. They just like oh like. I don't like th- this person because they don't like what I like, so I kill them. Yeah. And then, like, I don't have to worry. I don't have to hear the things that I don't want to hear. So do you think that the book that he wrote that she makes him burn is any good? Uh, it's supposed to be the best. Well, the... Do you guys... That, only, that's a good question. Only, only movie-related. Uh, if you go by the book, it's... it's yes, the, the one that she forces him to write is okay. amazing. <laughs> Oh, that she forces actual, him to write book, or that she forces him to burn? Well, in, in the book, he, he doesn't burn it in the book. Well, yeah, he, he tricks, I think he tricks her or something. He doesn't actually burn okay. his only copy. Got it, okay. But that does bring up something like that's, it's, I think they captured that very well of him trying to outsmart her during that scene and burning it. Yes. And then like, and then like, I th- I think this does, Something that we loved about uh, uh, Shaun of the Dead is there is a lot of setups, setups and payoffs. Not, not, not so, not as many as the as uh, Shaun of the Dead, but like you get so many setups and like how he gets back at, finally when the, when the wine when the drugging thing doesn't work out. Like I can't tell you how happy I was, how he totally like in, immerses himself into writing the story that she's engrossed in and then how he uses that to like to like beat her in the end some good stuff and like kid it's like could you oh god i was like it's gut-wrenching because uh i think we're all writers on different levels and like the idea of 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 burning my only copy of something i feel like it's just gone oh man i have so many journals that i'm like Oof. If I was someone else, I would burn these right now. <laughs> you ever like read your own stuff and you're like, God, I was such an obnoxious person like five years ago. Cause that's me all the time. <laughs> I don't I don't feel that way because I don't keep a journal. Uh, and, and when it comes when it comes to the plays I've tried to write, I do feel that way. But when it comes to my poetry, because I write poetry, I I um I do enjoy it, and and that's because for me, poetry is 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 the most uh, purest form of expression that I am able to do. And when I can go back and read it, I'm not saying it's good, but I understand what I was trying to express and what I was trying to write, and I I can appreciate that. Um, and the idea yeah, of don't journal then. Yeah, I well I don't because I I I I I can't. Um, but I do envy that you do. Um, but the idea of burning my poems is like a nightmare. And I told I'm I'm with him in that scene, and like it's such a oh man, it's a shame, you know. The Oscars is bullshit, yes. right? We all, you know, the Oscars is bullshit. Yep. But like, it's a business. His performance, 
It's probably his last great performance, right? He's kind of like, uh, <laughs> not in this regard, but like that that role is kind of like Neo in the Matrix in the sense that like everybody in Hollywood was offered this. Everyone who was somebody in Hollywood at that time was offered this part and then ends up with like somebody else, right? Do you guys get what I'm saying? Yeah. And the person who gets it does something good with it. And the person who gets it does something like phenomenal with it. And like his performance is so understated and 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 very minimal in a beautiful way that it, it is, like Mickey said, overshadowed overshadowed by like this absolute breakout, undeniably wonderful performance by Kathy Bates. Yeah. And I, I, I think her last her last acting credit was like twenty eighteen. I, I I might be wrong. I, I I didn't write this down, but like, like, I mean, uh, um, Sheriff Buster, Richard Fonsworth, he died in like the early two thousands. Unfortunately, I think like his last big thing was uh, David Lynch's uh, Straight Story, which you should see. And he was nominated for an Academy Award. It's a shame he didn't win. Um. I think it was nominated for this as well. Um, anyways, uh, I, I, going back to the original question I asked, I, 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 I feel like Annie sometimes in my relationship with Allie, uh, in that I get the blues. And I'm like, she's just like, to me, she's a, she's that, she's a star. She is this, amazing shining star and i don't i feel like not even the black space that <laughs> surrounds her i just don't feel worthy <laughs> and i feel and i felt this early in our relationship like probably the first two or three years i was in a constant state of feeling like annie of like this could end at any moment and i i'm not deserving and I'm, a, I'm in a much better place now, but how do you how how do you reconcile that? Well, you just like um, you know time time has a way of changing things, right. and um, you just you, you, there's two options, right? One option is I accept the negative thoughts I was thinking, and I lose my relationship with this person I love. And the other option is uh, I say, Hey, this is stupid. Let me talk. Let me talk to my partner. Right. How I feel. And then we have a productive conversation and, um, you know, I realize, Oh, I'm just, I'm afraid of losing somebody. I, I care so much about. And as long as I continue to be me, which is the person that she loves, right? Uh, as long as I continue to be that person and we can communicate and share, then I'm fine. Don't be an asshole. Don't be an asshole. And like, <laughs> but also that's, that's super important for everything yep. in life. But also like, like I'm, I'm, I'm worthy of this person's love because they tell me so. And also like, I'm like, I'm, I'm worthy of a person's love. 
and the person I care about. I mean, we love you. Thank you. Did you know that Misery was turned into a Broadway show starring Bruce Willis, Bruce Willis and Laurie Metcalf in 2015? Um, no, I didn't know that. That's cool. Oh, it's not cool. No, it's very, uh, <laughs> it was very short-lived. Um, Laurie Metcalf, for those of you who don't know who Laurie Metcalf is, she was uh, most famously an Emmy Award-winning actress uh, on Roseanne. She played Roseanne's sister. But uh, she's also... Great in Lady Bird. Lady Bird. She's been in a bunch of films, but like she is one of the great American stage actresses or, or actors. Um, and she was... She's amazing in everything that she does. And she was amazing in this production, despite the fact that she was working with Bruce Willis. And um, it, was, it was not a success. And... Most notably because of Bruce Willis, and no, no shade at Bruce Willis, but like it's 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 like, what degree of hubris goes into this versus a desire to stretch yourself as an artist? Marika, I think you have an, an opinion on this. No, I think you just said no shade, but shade incoming. <laughs> Well, because it's—I mean—he's—he he is a not, notoriously difficult person to work with. I think that the idea that you could make a better stage show than the book or the movie is the ultimate hubris. I don't know. I—I I, I don't know that I agree, but—but but, I mean, obviously, with Bruce Willis, I agree. But about Misery being a, a good theater show, I don't, I don't know if I agree that it should—that it doesn't belong there. I—I I get the concept in that, like it's mostly two people in a room but like there's just so much time that goes by and like in the book it's like five months and in the movie it's like three to five weeks something like that it's it uh, you know in the book it's 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 I, i believe it's five months but in the movie we're looking at like the beginning of heavy winter into the sort of like end of winter but not quite spring it's a shorter time period but like that's a problematic for film and when you're dealing with an actor who has minimal stage experience he has some but it's like an actor who mostly works in film it's like a lot of his you know performance People say it's it's vacant and inert, which makes sense with somebody who who's worked in film for so long that like your performance is like way too minimal to be registered in a theatrical sense. But everyone says Lori Metcalf was doing God's work. She was amazing. She wasn't working with anything, and she did a great job. And Hathaway at the Oscars. <laughs> <laughs> you talking about when she did it with Denise Franco? Yup. <laughs> Does this belong in Snow Place Like Death? No. No? No. It's like incidentally a snow movie. Okay, explain yourself. I mean, the fact that it's snowy outside has very little to do 
Uh, yeah, I would totally and completely disagree with you. The fact that he's there for as long as he is is because the roads are closed down. No, it's because she, no, she's lying about that. She's a hundred percent lying about the fact that she's the roads lied. But like, she they a snowstorm. A snowstorm causes the wreck that leads him to being immobilized, that leads him to being there, that leads him to believing... Okay, Jesus Christ. Fine, Obviously fine, fine. Okay, no, that's fair. That's fair. That's okay. fair. No, no, you're entitled, you're entitled to your opinion. You're entitled to, it doesn't belong there. Wow. Michelangelo, you're being a real Annie Wilkes right now. <laughs> I am. <laughs> I turned into an Annie Wilkes. I mean, it doesn't feel like... I get what you're saying. I get what you're saying. And you're probably right. It just didn't feel like a... It felt like an incidentally winter movie. Okay. As opposed to a principally winter movie. If there was like a chilly place like death, I, I would put it in that section. <laughs> like, ooh, there's snow. You're Paul, and you're like the paper smudges. I'm like, okay, yeah, yeah, I'll go get you your fucking paper that you need. Listen, I'm not one of those people <laughs> who is so stuck in her ways that she will not change her mind. Uh, I'm okay. I mean, I'm okay that it stays there. I just feel like if someone wants to watch a movie that's like particularly like snowy, wintry, whatever. I'm not sure it's gonna like feed that that hunger, but that's okay. I'm gonna also say if you're gonna go with the Stephen King film, it's not the best snow place like that Stephen King. <laughs> the fucking poster, the classic poster, not the shitty poster, is a fucking house that's like a little light in an empty, dark snow filled visual. Agreed. But I, Mickey brings up a good point that if you're going to do a Stephen King film in there this are... section, no place like death. What, are you going to do Dreamcatcher? You're going you're gonna to do an allegory for being constipated by opioids? That's what you want to do? You're going to do Dreamcatcher? You're going to do uh, Storm of the Century? You're going to do The Shining? I mean, there are movies that are specifically <laughs> based... literally dies the in the Chase! Sucks as far as a Stephen King adaptation goes. It's a great oh, film. Whoa, it's a great, it's a great film. It's a great, it's a great, uh -uh, it's a great uh -uh. film. But it fucking sucks when it comes to adapt, like adapting his okay. story. This and he agrees. This is, this is this is him. The Shining is a perfect example of what oh, Stephen King was trying yourself. to say with misery. Go no, what Stephen King was trying yourself. to say with misery and what he himself can't can't even handle himself. <laughs> if anybody changes the uh, yeah, oh, Stephen fuck King you. this is a whole other episode. Shining. This is the episode where we call it's, it's called Go Fuck Yourself. King, Go fuck I'm yourself. so glad I'm not the only one who oh, gets told off cuz they don't agree. Oh my god. Okay. Okay. So bye. Good bye, everybody. Speak Enjoy of... the winter. Wonderland. Who we recommending this movie to? <laughs> Never ending fucking episode. I know. <laughs> Who do you recommend to? Listen, it's so digestible. Okay, so my, my thing is, uh, this is a great recommendation for people who don't like gore, 
but they but they want to see good uh, a good scary film one that they can watch with it's a thriller, yeah, it's, a thriller. It's, a thriller. it's a psychological it's thriller yeah it's great yeah same same i i i recommend this to uh anyone who walks into the video store you're cut if, you, if you're coming in, if you're coming in and you haven't seen this you got to see it if you come in you're like hey i really like stand by me oh you should definitely see misery you'll like it i can i can agree with that uh uh, uh i've watched roseanne too many times i'm like hey you should watch misery <laughs> it's it doesn't make sense to you why you should see this, but trust me. That's what I got. <laughs> okay, so I would like to end on this. Marika. Are you familiar with the term, it's a dog's breakfast? It's the dog's breakfast, yes. Yes, will you explain in French what exactly that means to our listener? It looks like puke. Because that's what I always assume the dog's breakfast meant. <laughs> okay. Right? It usually means Is like it's a, it? Yeah, it's, it's like a it's shit a mess. show. It's, it's a mess. mess. It's a mess. It's a mess. Yeah. Fait que ça a l'air de vomi. Ben, genre, ça a l'air de ce qu'un chien vomi. Ou ça a l'air d'un dégât, ou ça a l'air de quelque chose de dégueulasse. Il n'y a, a pas d'équivalent en français, là. Euh, écoute, bonne chance, Mickey. Le montage, c'est n'importe quoi. Ça fait trois heures qu'on parle plus ou moins de ce film. Mais je vous aime. <rire> <rire>